Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, I want to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be uh, in the uh, the next five, the, the five through eight today as we go through our series. I want to say happy Father's Day to everyone that's here. Uh, thankful for all the dads that are here. Um, and so if you are whether here, or whether you're streaming today, it's good to have everyone in worship. As I know, many of you have gone home to uh, be with your families. Uh, but today, uh, I just want to share with you just a wise word uh, from uh, a pastor just right down the road that, that Justin shared with me. And that, that's on this day, on Father's Day. I know this day is celebratory for many. Uh, it's bittersweet for some. And, and, and today can even be challenging, uh, depending on whatever is going on in, in your family or context. And, and at the Well Church, um, I, I just pray that our spirit would be this on this day, that just as it says in Romans twelve five that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and we would weep with, with those who weep. And so today, if it's a day that's celebratory and joyful, we are excited with you. And today, if you need someone to lean on, we'll be here to lock arms with you as you go through today. Um, but it's, it, it's on this that I just want to say we're, we're thankful, uh, even most of all that on this day, that we are reminded of the greatest love of all. And that is the love of our Father, our Lord in heaven, who has adopted us into his family. And by faith in him, that we are saved and we get to worship him together as one. This is such a blessing to have. So we're going to continue on in our series on the disciples' prayer through Luke chapter 11, where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. And so if this is your first time uh, as we have been going through this series, what we have learned up until this point is that in Luke 11, you have some disciples that have been with Jesus. They have seen him pray and they go to him. They say, Lord, teach us to pray as you taught, as the disciples were taught by John. They had a desire and a hunger to grow in prayer. And so the two ideas that we initially saw from Luke 11 is this, that, that the Lord, that when we pray to him, the primary, the chief aim from the very beginning is to exalt God, to worship him. And so we pray to exalt the Father. And then secondly, we pray for his will. As we see in Luke 11 and in the gospel account in Matthew, that his kingdom is coming, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for his will. Last week, we saw that as it shifted from prayers to God to prayers towards mankind, to us and to our church family, that there were three requests in particular that we pray on a regular basis, a regular rhythm of life. And the three prayers that we pray for often is that we pray for provision, that God would meet our needs. We pray for pardon, that we would receive forgiveness of our sins so that we would be reconciled with the Father, that we would have a sustained witness, a growing relationship with him. And then finally, we pray for protection, that we would not be led into temptation, but that God would protect us from this. And so now we journey into the second half of this section where we're going to begin to see Jesus uh, lay out further instructions on how to pray as we seek to grow in this. I want to ask you, just to, to ask yourself this question right now, if you would. When was the last time that you prayed a bold prayer? Think about it. When was the last time that you prayed a bold prayer? A prayer 
that is a betting the farm kind of prayer where you're laying everything on the line, knowing that God and God alone is the one who can answer and fulfill this prayer, where you give everything to him. It's an all or nothing moment. Believe it or not, bold prayers are not something that the church often dives into. It's not something that is typically on the forefront of our thoughts and and our prayers. Why is that? When we think about that and and think about the church, not just the the well, but the church at large, why is it that, that prayers typically don't have this boldness to them? I think Robbie Gowdy said it best. He says, we often do not pray because we don't believe prayer works. See, in in this journey of learning how to pray, as Jesus prayed, as he taught the disciples, one of the things that you will begin to see, if you have not already, is that God indeed answers prayers. He is faithful to do this. But you do not experience the faithfulness of God in answering prayers If you do not pray, and for those that partake in this, we are blessed in due time as we see that God is indeed faithful to respond well to prayer, to those that align with the kingdom. And so where I'm heading with this, guys, is is simply this, is I want you to see today that whether it's big, large, or small, that God desires for you to pray boldly to him. That you would move all of your requests, every single one of them, to be made known to God. Even the ones you think that are impossible or inconvenient to Him. And so the idea that we are going to see is that we are to pray boldly. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through verses 5 through 8. We're going to unpack this really interesting narrative account that Jesus gives. And then we will see this boldness of prayer explained here. So if you would, look at Luke chapter 11, and we're going to go 5 through 8. We're going to look at these verses. So in verse 5, he says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Let's pray together and then we will unpack these verses. Father, we just come to praise you now. We come to exalt your name in this gathering, in this worship service today. God, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that it would come in this church, in this city, and on this campus as it is in heaven. And God, I pray right now that as we look into these few verses, that God you would move our hearts and you would move our prayers to be bold. That we would see the truthfulness of your word here and that your word would captivate our hearts, our minds today. And that we would be transformed deeper into the image of your son. 
God, it's on this day that by our own efforts, our own abilities, that God, we could not stir up an incredible work. An incredible moment, an incredible time where lives are changed and people are redeemed and sin is, the patterns of sin are broken. All of these things cannot be done on our own. But God, when you move, these things can. And so God, we just ask that now you would move in our lives and in this church as we reflect through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So this is a really, really interesting passage. And when you read it, it's, it's almost laughable in some ways that you could go through it, not really catch the point just because of the context of what it is. But in verse 5, the story is, he said to them, which of you who has a friend goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. So I don't know about you. But I don't have too many friends, which I I don't know. I don't have too many friends, I think, that would come to my house at midnight asking for three loaves of bread, okay? (laughs) Now, if someone comes to my house at midnight in general, one, I'm probably not going to answer the door, but two, that's just kind of weird in today's culture, right? You just don't do that. So the thing he is getting to right here and the point that he is beginning to make is that this is not a normal setting. Friends don't typically ask friends for bread at midnight. Right? You'd think you would plan a little bit in advance, but he does not here. We're going to see why in just a moment. But this says much about the relationship. You can't just go to anybody at midnight and ask them for bread. Like if, if Christian came to my house at midnight and said, Brother, I need bread. I'd be like, go to Walmart, (laughs) you know, whatever it might be. That's just not a typical scenario. And so as we reflect on this, we're going to see that that this is not a normal occurrence. So the friend goes to someone at midnight, goes to his friend, and then he asks for three loaves, and he explains it in verse 6. He says, a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And so... In this culture and in this geographic area in the Middle East, there's a lot of things to consider right now. So in the Middle East, you would have people travel early in the morning or late at night. You guys should get that by living in North Alabama, right? Why does everyone mow their lawn at like 6 in the morning or 9 at night? Because it's hot, (laughs) right? We don't want to mow in the middle of the day because it's burning up. And so people do not travel typically in the middle of the day. The same reason they don't go to the well in the middle of the day, John chapter 4. They go early in the morning, late in the evening. And it's because of the weather. It's because of the climate. And so we have a friend that is traveling, and they are arriving at a house at midnight. And so he makes it to this house, and as he knocks on this friend's door, he has nothing to give him. Now, hospitality in this culture would dictate and suggest that when you have a dear friend come, you're prepared to host them. They'll be able to stay in your home. You would have a meal ready for them. It's a pretty sweet deal. And it's in this that he has got nothing. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, as you reflect deeper on this, there are some things that they value differently than we do. Now, one of the things that they value deeply is honor. There's a difference in American culture and what we see here in the Middle East. That honor is to be held to the highest degree of value. 
That if your family has honor, your household has honor, this is, this is a priceless thing. Versus shame. Where instead of having honor, instead if you brought shame to your household, this would be a terrible, awful thing. It's why even in today's context, when you see a Muslim in a Middle Eastern country come to faith in Jesus, they are cast out from their family. Why is that? Because in their opinion, they are bringing shame to the house. Part of the reason why. And it's not allowed. It's not permitted. And so honor is to be held of the highest value. And to have a dear friend come to your house, you are not prepared to host them. This is a thing that could bring shame to the home. And so it is here that this this is to be avoided at all costs. And so this friend does the right thing. He decides, I'm not going to let this person come to my home, not be fed, not be hosted well. I'm going to go ask for help. And so in seeking out this honor and seeking out caring well for his friend or her friend, they go to the friend's house. So they have no food. In verse 6, you see that they begin to explain this to their friend. And then I love this part in verse 7. What is the response in verse 7? He goes to the house, he asks for three loaves of bread, and this is what he gets told. He says, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And I get this, like I resonate deeply with that. With, with Heidi, she, she's, she just turned one year old, and uh, especially when she was a newborn. Like, going to bed is a big deal. If you're a parent, like, you know that for a baby. Like, everything has to happen perfectly for this baby to go to bed, especially Heidi, because she's just so feisty. And so it's with this, like, the, the stars and the moon and the galaxies have to align perfectly for her to fall asleep. And, like, there is a process. Like 7.30, we know it. Hey, McCreary House, it's time to wind down. Like if you're over, you're going to be helping us put Heidi to bed or it's time to go. And it's with this that there's a certain set of steps, right? Like with Heidi, every, every family figures out their own pattern, but Heidi's got a particular set of steps. And it's at about 7.30, it's time that there's going to be bath time. And so this is going to just, she knows when bath time is beginning. It means the day is winding down after bath time. Uh, Lexi's going to be changing her and getting her in pajamas. I'm going to be getting her bottle ready. It has to be perfectly seven ounces. Can't be a little more because that's too much and she'll feel upset. It can't be too little or she'll still be hungry. It's got to be like perfectly on the money. And so she'll have the seven ounces. And so while I'm getting that ready, Lexi's going to be in the rocker and she's going to be rocking Heidi a little bit and she's going to be reading her a book, maybe two maybe three, because sometimes she just loves reading tons of books. And in between that, we're going to time it to where as soon as she finishes that book, I'm going to come in with the bottle. She's going to see her eyes are going to light up. And then we're going to give her the bottle. As the bottle is uh, being uh, drunk, she, the lights are going to go off. And then we are going to finish the bottle. We are going to pray. We're going to rock her a few more minutes. And if you do it perfectly, you can set her down in there. She'll fall asleep within like a minute or two. And so I say that all that to say, 
the kids in bed is a big deal, right? <laughs> like that's not a small thing. And so if someone came to my house at midnight and they come in, and if you've been to my house, you know the monster that lives there, and that's my little dog. I mean, Lexi's little dog, Finn. And if someone rings the doorbell or knocks on the door, he is going to lose his mind. And when he does this, it happens sometimes, and it's okay. We don't want you to knock in our house. That's not what we're saying. Uh, what I am saying is that sometimes you'll wake Heidi up, and when you hear that cry from the back room, you're just like, no, this is bad <laughs> because she's not going to go back to sleep and we're about to pull an all-nighter. And so everything is so important with the kids in bed. And so this guy in verse 8 is saying, look, you can't be here. The kids are asleep. It's too late. Go away. It's a big deal. And so in 5, 6, and 7, you see this kind of attitude of, look, man, I love you, praying for you in Jesus' name, but I can't help you right now. But then the dynamic changes in verse 8. Look again in verse 8. He says, I tell you, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. He says he's going to rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, believe it or not, this passage in this verse, and even a key word we're about to talk about in a moment, this has everything to do with prayer. When you're reading this, you're like, hey, that doesn't really say anything about prayer. But it actually does. See, if you consider the context of this passage, it's between the request of the disciples' prayer in verses 1 through 4, and then afterward, he is going to explain it in 9 through 12 of what this looks like on a day-to-day basis. He is using an illustration to paint a picture of prayer. And so it's in this that to figure out what this is talking about, everything hinges on one word. And it is this word, impudence. You see it in verse 8. Now, if you're like me, you might read that and you're like, hey, I don't really know what that means. But everything hinges on it. See, this word is very important. This word actually occurs only one time in the entire span of God's word. Only once. And it is this word in the Greek pronounced anadeia. Anadeia. And here is what this word anadeia literally means. It means this. It means shameless. It means to be shameless. So what is he getting at here? He is saying that this friend, his request, his uh, petition to his other friend is bold. It's without restraint. There is no shame, right? Because if you're like me and I was going to go to a friend's house at midnight to ask him for prayer, it's kind of embarrassing in some ways, right? You would go to the house and you'd just be super nervous. Like I would be thinking, man, I'm about to upset this family. Like I can't believe I'm at their house at midnight. They're going to think I'm a stranger. Like I'm going to get shot. Those are the things I'm thinking. But what he is saying here is this guy's not thinking that. He is completely shameless. He's not worried about any of those things. He is completely fixated on this request, and he is going to ask it. If you think about the most confident person you know, the most bold person you know, 
That in our lives, we have these moments of 20 seconds of boldness where we do the things that have to be done because they are of such level of importance. This is the kind of moment that is. That he is going, and he is going to ask his friend no matter what the consequences may be. And so the idea here is that his friend was going in this onadia way, this shameless way, so that for you and I, when it comes to our prayers to God, instead of being hesitant, instead of being worried if it's going to be inconvenient, instead of worried about the uncomfortability of the prayer, instead of worrying about the size of the prayer, how large or how small or the timing of it, instead of all those things, we are going to boldly go and we are going to knock on the door and we are going to ask in Jesus' name. This is the idea of Anadea. This bold, completely, completely unrestrained prayer that goes when we would consider the worst of times and the worst of places and the worst of circumstances. We would think we should never ask those kind of prayers. But this is exactly what Jesus says to pray like. That these are the kinds of prayers that we sense within us that are just kind of out of balance. These are actually right in the middle of where God wants us to be. And on a day of prayer. And so I want to take this idea and just get really on the ground with it so we understand what this looks like. See, in our life and in our church, I believe this is leading us towards making bold prayers as church members. Prayers that are not the typical ones in our day-to-day, but prayers that we lay before God, asking, betting everything on, praying and, and expecting Him to meet us, expecting Him to answer, expecting Him to be faithful as a friend goes to his friend at midnight. What is it in your life today that God is asking you to do that seems like too much. You should pray. Where is God asking you to go next? Is he asking you to move your life to a new city? Is he asking you to move to a new part of town? Is he asking you to move your third place to a place where people are far from Jesus? What is he asking you to do? Where is he asking you to go? Pray. Who in the city, who on the campus, who in your family, your neighborhood, your friend group, who is it that is far from Jesus, seems hopelessly far from Jesus, there is nothing to be done? Who is that person that needs Christ, that needs the gospel? Pray. What addiction do you have that is crippling to you? that has enslaved you for years, that has followed you for years, that you feel that there's no ground to be won, no victory to be seen. What is it? Pray about these things. What anxiety do you possess that is worrisome to you, that feels like you are carrying weight over your shoulders all day, and by the end, you are just crawling to bed because it is overbearing for you? Pray about these things. Who is it in your life, in your work, in your environment that you fear? You should pray on these things. Whatever it is, pray. For a broken marriage, you should pray. For 
a wayward child, you should pray. For a situation that feels hopeless, you should pray. For the darkest depths of your soul that only you know, you should pray. There's so many things in our life that we consider the big items, that these are things we must place at the door of Jesus. And because of this impudence, of this, of this boldness, of this persistence, he will answer. The responsibility for you and I today is simply to give it to him. Pray to him. You must pray. We pray not in our only life in our own lives, but I believe even as a church, there are these on a day of prayers that we can begin praying that we, we already have in our church. We pray that we would have the opportunity, the privilege to reach 100 college students with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they have gone home and I have gone on mission this summer, when they return, we are praying bold prayers that God would let us see a work in our midst and in this church and on this campus in a way we've never seen before. We were praying that we could reach 100 people in the city of Huntsville. I mentioned previously that Huntsville is the fastest growing city in the state of Alabama and is now projected to be the largest next month. 10,000 people moving to the Huntsville metro every single year. And folks, this is an incredible opportunity, but this is also an incredible challenge. We want to reach 100 people in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Children, families, singles, seniors, anyone we can with this good news. We're praying that we could reach 100 people in this city. We're praying that we could be a sending church. Not just one that fantasizes about sending, talks about sending, but actually lives sent. That we would send people regionally and nationally and internationally to the ends of the earth in years and decades to come. That God would lay this foundation here. That is a bold prayer. And so I want to just humbly ask you today, what is your bold prayer? What is it that's within your heart, your mind, and your soul that today is the day you need to give it to Jesus? What is it? And in this moment, as we reflect on this friend who answered, we recognize and see this, that God will answer. He will do this. We must go to him. This boldness in prayer, I, I, I believe it's a, it's a testimony to the faithfulness of God that no matter how bold our prayers may be, that indeed God is faithful to answer them. They are not too big for him to handle. And see, folks, today we see that faithfulness and we see that faithfulness portrayed in an incredible way. We see that faithfulness portrayed in his love for you and I. The folks right now, if you are a, a part of the body of Christ in the family of God, your identity has been made known as this. You have been made known as his son, as his daughter. As Anna was praying Romans 8 over us at the beginning of the service, we cry out to him, Abba, Father. 
this, this intimate relationship of dad. And folks, we all have earthly fathers, but some of you today, you may not have a heavenly father. If you're here today, I want to invite you in if you've never trusted in Jesus and never experienced the eternal love of our heavenly father, that you would trust in him today. He promises us this, that if we would believe in him and have faith alone in him, that he would adopt us into his family. And I don't know if you know much about adoption, but one of the most beautiful things about adoption is this, is that when you are adopted into the family of God, it is something that legally is declared for life. That if you are adopted into the family of God, you will not be there for a few years. You will not be there for a lifetime, but you will be adopted into his family forever, for eternity. And friends, that is the best news that I could share with you on this day. If you've never trusted in him, he's inviting you into his family. And I want to call you to believe in the goodness in the love of Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior who died on the cross, took the weight of sin upon himself, and three days later he rose again. Would you trust in him? Let's pray together.